You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Good morning, Life Church Livonia. What's up? What's up? Have you got any plans for the Super Bowl this weekend? It's going to be a good game, right? I mean, am I saying right or what? It is going to be a game. You know, I actually don't care about the Super Bowl at all. I just love when people say stuff like that because it like, means nothing. Or It's going to be a game, right? But it, it means nothing. <laughs> but it sounds like you're interested. Anyway, it's always fun to watch with friends. I'm there for the commercials. You probably know how it is. Welcome to week three of our relationship series, Relationship Goals. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Life Church Livonia. Relationships are at the core of the human experience. And the reason that we wanted to do this series is because, I don't know if you noticed, but relationships are pretty hard, right? We're, when left to our own devices, we generally don't do relationships that well. So we want to see what scripture says about things like marriage and friendship and parenting and intimacy in a way that honors God and brings uh, the kind of healed and healthy and whole relationships that are part of an abundant life. In week one, we talked about God's goal for both marriage and singleness. In week two, we talked, Kate talked last week, did a great job talking about what a godly friendship looks like. And both weeks were really about kind of the what of these things. What is a godly friendship? What is the goal of marriage? What do I do with my singleness? And we don't have the resources this year, either in time or in money, to run a full marriage conference. And I would be remiss if we did not finish this series in some way without talking about the how. How do we do these things? What skills can I take home to my wife, take home to my boyfriend or girlfriend, take home to my kids, take home to my friends, and do some tangible things in my life that make a big difference? And so that's what I want to do today. I want to give a biblical foundation and really tangible skills that can help us improve our marriage, our dating relationships, our friendships, our relationships with our kids, fill in the blank. And so uh, today after church, we're going to have a really fun Valentine's Day lunch, and I'd love to chat with you more there if we haven't uh, met in person yet. But I was reflecting on Valentine's Day because it's this week and we're talking about relationships. And I remember our first Valentine's Day, my wife Amber and I, our first Valentine's Day, I did nothing. And so she she wakes up excited. (laughs) I still remember. She wakes up and she's like smiling and walks into our kitchen and goes, where's my Valentine's Day card? Where's my Valentine's Day goodie basket? And I laughed, just laughed as hard as I could. And I said, Amber, who do you think is like doing these things? Like our parents aren't here. We have to do these things. We didn't budget for this. Girl, you got a Valentine's life. Who needs a day? (laughs) And as you can imagine, married folks, uh, she did not take that as well as I thought she was going to take that. (laughs) and so year two rolls around and I learned okay I learned from my mistake year one I was like okay Valentine's life not a good excuse she still wants a day so you know I get up at like 5 a.m. maybe even earlier because she opened at Panera at 5 30 a.m. so I get up like in time to go get her favorite drink from Starbucks to get her a card to get her chocolates and bring them back in time for her to wake up at 5 Okay, so it was early morning, big sacrifice. I got her a card, it was beautiful. I got all the things she wanted from the year before. And guess what? 
Nothing happened. It didn't magically make our relationship better. The conflict we had earlier that week didn't magically resolve. It, it, it didn't do anything. And at the time, I didn't understand why. I was like, see, this is why this day is stupid. <laughs> But I didn't understand, Amber didn't want flowers, she didn't want the coffee, she didn't want the chocolates, she didn't want a card, she wanted what those things represented. And what those things represent is intimacy. In Genesis 2, we see a beautiful picture of intimacy in Adam and in Eve. It says this, it says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's the most important line here. That phrase, naked and unashamed, is a guide to me. It's not just a description of their physical bodies, but of their whole selves. It's a description of intimacy, and not just marital or sexual intimacy, but the intimacy that is at the core of every meaningful relationship. The fact that they're naked means nothing is hidden, right? This is not simply transparency. This is something more. Transparency means I can see everything. But this is vulnerability. Vulnerability means that you have enough access to the hidden parts of me that you could hurt me. Not everyone earns our vulnerability, and certainly scripture isn't commanding us to be vulnerable with random people, but it's a description of the created state that Adam and Eve find themselves in. They have nothing to hide from God, and they are both transparent and vulnerable with each other, right? That's the nakedness that we're talking about here. And then it says they felt no shame. Now, shame is defined as the feeling that I don't have a problem, I am a problem. It's not that I have issues, but somehow, someway, I'm just inherently defective. It's not a comment on my circumstances or decisions. It's a comment on my being as a person. So this little sentence, Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame, is a deeply rich picture and image, a symbol of being totally vulnerable before another person and being totally accepted. Not that there is nothing I need to work on or grow in, not that I, I can't improve myself in some ways, but that I can be my full self before you and not feel defective, even as I grow. To be vulnerable and accepted is a healing and a powerful thing. It's a state we were made to our uh, made to experience in our relationships with God and people. And it's what we would call intimacy. Now, in the physical sense, this kind of intimate vulnerability is reserved for marriage. But emotionally, this is simply a description of the kind of environment that grows our deepest relationships. 
Now, many of us struggle to grow intimate relationships for a multitude of reasons. Some of us struggle to develop deep and meaningful friendships, right? We know lots of people, but for some reason, we just are struggling to create deep, rich, and meaningful friendships that go the distance and last a long time. Sometimes it's because we've never been taught how. Other times it's because there's some woundedness. Some of us struggle to develop intimacy with our spouse or our kids. We thought just getting married and having children would automatically make something happen inside of us, but we aren't sure what we're doing wrong. We're just not connecting in the way we feel we could or should. Life is working fine, but that's all it is, isn't it? It's just working. It's just fine. It's, it's not the more we know we could have. Some of us struggle to build intimacy because we didn't experience it growing up. Maybe our dad didn't give us much affection or our mom was really critical and we didn't feel praised or valued in our home. And so we don't know how to relate to people and we can even feel embarrassed when we start to get vulnerable and do things like affirm somebody else. Others of us struggle to create intimacy because the only container we've been given for intimacy as appropriate in our society is a romance. We find ourselves going from marriage to marriage or dating to dating relationship, but they keep falling apart. However, what we may really be looking for isn't even a romance, but actually just intimacy with another person. We just didn't know we could have intimacy in a friendship and not just in a romance. Some of us struggle to create intimacy because we've been hurt. Others have just never been taught how. Some of us have been betrayed by a family member, a close friend, an ex, or someone else that we've trusted. And we've been shaken, and it's, it's hard to build deep relationships again. But whatever barriers you may be facing today, God does not want you to stay in that place. You were made for deep and intimate relationships. Not just a marriage, but deep friendships. Because that's part of your design as someone made in God's image. You have this, all of us have this longing in us to be naked and unashamed with the people closest to us. So today we want to answer the question, how do I build intimate relationships? John Gottman is a relationship researcher and his wife Julie Gottman is a relationship therapist. And John has been researching relationships for over 40 years with both short-term and long-term data. Some of the couples he's been researching, he's been following for decades if they've go, as they've gone the distance throughout life. Now, John calls relationships that have gone the distance and where people, you know, die married and die happy and are together for the long haul, he calls them the masters, the relationship masters. And the relationships that have crumbled and failed and leave pain in their wake, he calls them the disasters. So a lot of John's verbiage is he's talking about, hey, what do the relationship masters do versus the relationship disasters? Now, John primarily researches marriage, but one of the things that John says that Kate said last week, and I think is just so true that I want to frame our time today, is John says at the heart of every couple who are masters of relationship is a deep and intimate friendship. So today, we're not just looking at how do we build strong marriages. We're not just looking at uh, how do we build strong uh, relationships with a, a dating partner we hope to one day marry. We're talking about every relationship, dating, single, friendships, married, kids. We're just talking about how do we build the necessary intimacy that gives life to every deep relationship I have. Now, one of the fun things I found as I researched uh, and, and read over John's research, Dr. Gottman's research, is that his research on building intimacy are all things I've learned from church through scripture. 
I always take delight when research simply confirms what the Bible says about how to do life and relationships God's way. Who would have guessed? You know what I mean? Who would have guessed that the Lord of all the universe knew how to do relationships right? Now, in his 40 years of research, Dr. Gottman says the first step to any deep relationship is to build what he calls love maps. Now, a love map is simply knowing someone's inner world. You know, when you tell a joke, you know how they'll respond. You know if they'll like that show or not and why. When they get that look on their face, you know what it means. You can, send, you can, you can understand the inner workings of their mind and their heart a little bit. When uh, it's their birthday, you know what kind of present they're going to feel loved by and what kind of thing they just are not going to like at all. People use tools like the love languages or the Enneagram personality assessment to help figure out and give language to each other's love maps. And I think we see this idea of love maps or really knowing someone deeply in Genesis chapter 4. And this is what it reads. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now you'll notice I chose the English, uh, the ESV, the English Standard Version, because it uses the best word choice here. The best word choice here uh, is not the word slept with or laid with. And it's interesting because Hebrew, which this is the language this was written in, Hebrew has words for sexual intimacy and intercourse, but the Bible doesn't use that word here. Obviously, it's what it's referring to, but the Bible uses a different word. The Hebrew word it uses here is the word yada. Say that with me, yada. It's not yada yada, right? It's yada. And yada doesn't mean sexual intercourse or intimacy. What it means is to know, to learn, to show, to understand, to listen to, to realize, to acknowledge. Now, the reason that this is important is because if we were just talking about sex, they could have used a different word, but it's not, right? If we understand what this word means, we understand when it says that Adam knew his wife and she conceived, it means Adam learned his wife. Adam understood his wife. Adam listened to his wife. Adam saw and acknowledged his wife. That's what a love map is. You and I were made to know and be known by God and by others. We were made to celebrate and be celebrated, which Kate talked about last week. We were made to love and to be loved. And when John Gottman was asked how relationship masters build their love maps, his answer was very simple. He said, relationship masters ask open-ended questions, they listen well, and they remember the answers. They ask open-ended questions, they listen well, and they remember the answers. Now, this is a skill at Life Church Livonia we talk about all the time. We practice it in our mission meetings. I've preached sermons on it, and we call it incarnational listening. Incarnational listening. Throughout Scripture, God asks many, many questions. He asks Adam and Eve, where are you? He asks Moses, what's in your hand? Referring to the staff that Moses was holding to do miracles. He asks Joshua, what are you doing down on your face? When he, and he, as he redirects him to deal with sin in the camp. He asks Elijah, what are you doing here? When the prophet flees from his position as prophet due to a lack of repentance. He asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry after Nineveh repents and turns to God? All throughout scripture, God uses questions to confront, to redirect, to instruct, to guide his people into truth and reality. But God doesn't 
He's not just asking the questions because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking the question because he wants relationship. He wants the interaction, right? He knows why Jonah's mad. He knows where Adam and Eve are. He knows what's in Moses' hand, but he wants them to tell him. He wants the relationship. And when Jesus incarnated as a baby, he left his world and entered our world, while at the same time not losing himself. He remained God, yet became fully human, entering the human experience. And when we build love maps through incarnational listening by asking good questions, listening well, and then remembering those things, we live like Jesus because we leave our world and we enter someone else's. And when we remember what they said, that builds intimacy in that relationship. So step one is the way to build intimacy in relationships. We build love maps through incarnational listening. Step two is we talk about how do we build these intimate relationships. Dr. Gottman says uh, that the second step after building love maps is to build fondness and admiration. And what he simply means is telling someone what's good about them. Right? We build fondness and admiration through verbally expressing our gratitude. Hey, Ron. Hey, Eric. Hey, Bill. Hey, Dom. Hey, Jason. Hey, Steve. Thank you guys for setting up and tearing down every week. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for running the camera today. I really appreciate that. You know, or simply encouraging someone. Hey, Larry and Lauren. You guys cook better food for church than I can even make at home. I look forward to every time you guys cook at church. You guys do an amazing job. Hey, Marissa, you do an awesome job leading worship. And I'm so thankful you take care of the details for our digital service. Or we tell them something that's good about them. Hey, Jake, your faithfulness and your servant's heart, they're a beautiful thing. And they're a blessing to me in our church. And I just want you to know I'm glad you're here. In Genesis chapter 1, after God finished all of creation by making human beings, it says this. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. That phrase, very good, means totally complete, means perfect, means exactly what I had in mind to complete my vision and hope for this. It's a statement of total validation. Every single human person longs to hear that very good again and again and again and again throughout our lives. It's not simply enough to know we exist. We want to know that it's very good to somebody that we exist. That's why Paul tells the Christians in 1 Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. We long to know that we're good. We long to know there's good things in us. We long to make a difference. That We long to know that people are grateful that we exist. And only when people verbally express it do we know that. And Dr. Gottman also observed that it takes five affirmations to simply match the impact of one criticism. It's called the five to one rule. And that doesn't mean five uh, override the criticism. It means they match it. More on that in a little bit. But the third step to building intimacy in our relationships is what Dr. Gottman calls turning towards bids for attention and affection. Now, Dr. Gottman realized in his research that people make tons of what he calls bids for affection. You know, it's like when it's quiet at home and your spouse says, wow, it's a nice sky today, isn't it? Or when your kid comes over just to snuggle against your arm. Or when you're hanging out with a friend after the conversations died down and they chuckle at something on their phone. Or maybe when someone texts you a funny video or a song they like. These little moments are invitations to interaction. And it's in these little moments, relationships are built or destroyed. 
these bids for attention or bids for affection can either be turned towards, turned away from, or turned against. So let's take that first example. You know, someone says, maybe your friend says, wow, isn't it a nice sky? Turning away would just be ignoring the comment. Sitting on your phone, you're just going, hmm, right? That's turning away. I didn't, I didn't interact when you asked for interaction. Turning against would be going, what? I hate how gray, blue, pink, whatever the sky is. I hate the sky right now. Oh man, why do you like that? That's turning against. You made a bid for attention and affection and I criticized you. Turning towards will be putting the phone down, looking up or walking over and going, yeah, it is really nice. What do you like about it? That's turning towards a bid for attention and affection. We see Jesus do this all the time, all the time. One such example is Matthew 8. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man came with leprosy, came and knelt down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. So this man comes to Jesus for healing in his body. Now, leprosy is a skin disease we think about. What we call leprosy today is really a, a dying of nerve endings that eliminates feeling and appendages. And so those feelings get injured or those appendages get injured and then never dealt with. And so, you know, it causes limbs to fall off, not because uh, the disease itself decays them, but because the injuries are not tended to. But in that time, that wasn't necessarily what leprosy meant. Uh, leprosy was really kind of any skin disease. Even like psoriasis and eczema would count as leprosy in biblical times. Now, the reason this was a big deal is because anyone with a skin disease was spiritually unclean, meaning they couldn't participate in the religious life of the Israelites. They weren't able to participate in temple activities and festivals. They were cast out of society. They lived in leper colonies outside of town. And when they were around people that weren't from their colony, they had to shout, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. So that anyone who was clean would know not to touch that person on accident. Because if you touched a person who was unclean from a skin disease, you are now unclean. And now you couldn't participate. And you had to go through a ritual of cleansing. So notice when Jesus heals this man, this man comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, and he kneels before Jesus. He humbles himself, says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus doesn't just raise his hand over him and say, be clean, my son. Jesus touches him. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. Jesus entered that man's world and met him exactly where he needed to be. And that touch was healing on two levels. Yes, it healed his skin disease. Yes, it healed his body. But when Jesus touched that man who had not been touched in years because of that disease, it healed something in his heart. It healed something emotionally. Jesus turned towards people's bids for affection and attention constantly. And so the three ways we build intimacy in any relationship are by making love maps, really knowing, understanding someone through incarnationally listening to them. Number two is through building fondness and admiration, through just expressing affirmation and gratitude. Here's what's good about you. And number three is through turning towards, not away from or against, bids for attention and affection. These are the three building blocks to any intimate relationship. And it takes time and consistency just doing them well. However, you may be thinking, that's great, Alex. That's great. This is all good stuff. But what about conflict? I don't know about you. 
but uh, my relationships come with conflict and this is all good, but what do I do about that? And so, so what about conflict? Let's talk for a couple minutes about conflict as we end our time here. First off, one of the interesting things uh, that shocked me from the Gottman research is they found that 69% of conflicts, specifically in marriage, but 69% of conflicts are unsolvable. Meaning they're not problems with simple solutions that make them go away. And so you may be like, what? That can't be true. But hear me out. This is, this is where this comes from. So, for example, myself, right? This comes from people's core personalities and comes from their life hopes and dreams. Okay, that, that's where the 69% that are unsolvable comes from. So, I'm very goal-oriented. I'm task-oriented. I'm goal-driven. That's not a bad part of me. It's not even a problem to solve. It's just part of my core personality. However, in different seasons, that core personality can create problems in my relationships, right? Stuff picks up at work, at church, and I start spending more time on it, and then Amber starts feeling lonely, and now that's a problem we have to solve. And the, per the solution isn't getting rid of my personality. It's going, okay, what can we do to put some boundaries around this? And then we bring it back in line. But then something in our life will change. Like say, I don't know, off the top of my head, having a baby, for example, right? <laughs> and then, you know, the circumstances will change. And that personality of being goal-driven and task-oriented and work-focused creates problems in a new way. And we go, oh, shoot, okay, well, now we have to manage that. We have to figure that out. And let's put some boundaries around that. And Alex, this is how that hurts me. And this is where I don't feel like you're spending enough time with the family. And then I have to adjust again, right? And so 60%, 69% of problems in relationships are just people's personalities coming out in different ways over time. That's the problem isn't the personality or it's sometimes it's the life dream, right? For example, I know people whose life dream it is to be able to retire in Florida. If you hate Florida, you're probably not going to be that close to that person that deeply for that long, right? Because your uh, preferences and desires conflict with one of their life dreams, right? So now the remaining 31% remaining of problems that are solvable, one of the interesting things is they found some key insights and tips for helping solve these problems. The way the masters did it versus the way the disasters did it. First off, they found that there are really the most important things in conflict for men to do and women to do were different. Now you may go, listen, I'm a girl and I actually I uh, resonate more with the male thing. That's fine. Hey, listen, I'm just saying this is what the research says. By and large, doesn't mean there are outliers, but by and large, this is the these are the two most important things for men and women to do. So the point across all research that the data has shown was the most important thing for a man to do in order for a conflict to get solved was to accept influence from others, especially women, when forming a solution, to accept influence from others. If the man's not willing to hear what you have to say, and guys, we know this, I know I've felt this, like, uh, Amber, you just don't fully understand the situation, and so like, let me figure it out, and then I'll come back to you with what I think we should do, right? That's not gonna be helpful, because it's not collaborative, right? It's taking control of the situation and not allowing another person to be part of a solution. That's not gonna build intimacy, that's just gonna create a new conflict. I've been there. I've totally done this. For women, the most important thing was it's most important for women to take responsibility in the conflict and not say it's all your fault. It's most important for women to say, listen, it's not all your fault. Here's what I need to own. Women taking responsibility for their share of the conflict, they said, was the most important thing. 
for men and women to do differently. Now you may resonate with one or the other, that's fine. Take both of them as tools, as insight into solving the solvable conflicts. The other two things they said about that remaining 31% was if you don't have enough relational equity in the bank, if there's not enough money in the love bank, if I haven't been building intimacy through knowing you, through blessing you, through uh, fondness and admiration, through turning towards you, if we go into withdrawal, this conflict's just not gonna resolve. So I gotta build enough money in the love bank in order to have this conflict because conflict takes it out. And if it ends well, if a conflict ends well, it can put money back into the love bank, but at the beginning there's a withdrawal and I gotta make sure I have enough in the account for that relationship to handle it. Number two, the second thing is that whether you're managing that 69% that's not solvable or the 31% that is, conflicts went the best when partners started the conversation with gentleness. Here's an example of what, I'm, what I mean. Maybe your friend says, hey dude, how can we never hang out anymore? Did I do something wrong? We only hang out when I reach out to you. Do you not like me or something? Not gentle. That may be how your friend is feeling, that may be true about how they're feeling, but the way it was just communicated has now put you in the spot of the bad guy and them in the spot of the victim. They've just framed their pain as a fight in which you're the villain and they're the one in need of rescue. That's not gonna end well because now you have to convince them, listen, I'm not the villain and how can we solve this together, right? The gentle approach would be the friend saying, hey man, listen, I love when we hang out, but I've noticed the past few months, it's really only been me reaching out to you to initiate that. Like, are we okay? Do we need to talk about something? Because if we do, let's do that. But I just want you to know, I really value our friendship and I feel valued when you reach out to me too. I've just invited you into the solution, right? This is gentle because it's confessional. It doesn't start with blaming you for my emotional state. It says, hey, listen, this is how I'm feeling. You're not the villain in this, but this is where I'm at. Can you help be part of my solution in this? Boom, way better, way, 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 way better. Through 40 years of research, the Gottman Institute found that gentleness is the most effective way to solve conflict. Imagine that, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit being the most effective way to solve conflict. The average couple, and I want to end conflict with this as we close. The average couple waits six years beyond the point of needing help before they finally take serious action to getting help. And often by then it can be too late. And so if you find yourself this morning feeling convicted about this stuff and you're like, dude, I know my marriage needs help, reach out now. Do not wait until it's too late. We have resources that can help you. We have a great network of counselors to connect you to. Even if the first one you go to doesn't work out, keep trying, but do not do that. Do not wait until it just self-destructs. The humility of accepting help is 1,000 times better than a divorce or a loveless marriage. Now, I know I just went over a ton of information. So I wanna to end today with just some external resources that if you wanna do more research on your own, um, I wanna just point you to a couple of places. First off, if you're looking for more resources on conflict, I wanna direct you to look up Dr. Gottman's Four Horsemen of Disaster Relationships. He talks about criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. And one of the amazing things they found about contempt was in a 20-minute conversation, the number of contemptuous glances one partner gave the other actually predicted the number of infectious diseases the person under contempt was going to get in the next four years. The contempt doesn't just erode a relationship, it erodes our immune systems. 
it was it's amazing so if, if you're stuck in conflict that's a great resource i also want to they have a lot of youtube videos of, of their talks the gottmans um, they have a lot of books as well but here's some other books that i would recommend as resources if you are trying to grow in relational conflict i'd recommend the book boundaries by henry cloud and john townsend I'd recommend Nonviolent Communication by Marshall B. Rosenberg and The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. These are, are great tools in kind of helping you get a handle on, okay, how do I grow in my ability to do conflict and relationships well? And if you're not looking for more information but looking for a tool, you're like, listen, I know what I'm screwing up. I just don't know how to do it. I would highly recommend to look up The Ladder of Integrity, which is an emotionally healthy spirituality tool. I use it every time I got a, a deeply emotional conversation that's a conflict that I need to address. It just helps me clarify what we're doing here and, and what the real problem is. Now, if you're not looking for tools on conflict, but you just want some more to help just build intimacy and healthy relationships, I want to recommend a couple other resources. I highly recommend Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships by Pete Scazzaro. I'd really recommend, if you're a married person, Sacred Marriage by Gary Chapman. Amber and I uh, read that book while we were engaged, and it really shaped kind of our perspective on what our marriage was. And then finally, Kate and I would love to meet with you if you're looking for just some self-awareness and how do I build some love maps here. My, my wife and I are stuck. We don't know what to do. My friend and I are stuck. I don't know what to do. The Enneagram personality assessment has been a really helpful tool for me in understanding my inner world and being able to describe that to someone else. So again, if you're not looking for more research, but you just need a simple tool to help you connect with people, one of my favorite tools is the Community Temperature Reading, or CTR. You can type that into Google. It's an emotionally healthy discipleship resource. It's just a list of six questions, five questions that really help you tap into a couple different areas of life, like you know, appreciations and excitements. What are my worries and concerns? How do I address conflict in a good way? You know, what's new in my life, and what am I hoping for and wishing for? So all that being said, I know it's a lot of information, but hopefully you can get some helpful tools, and I invite conversation. If you are in a place where you need help, please reach out to us. I want to finish with something I said earlier. All this is great information, but I've learned this stuff, not through the Gottmans, not through all of these books necessarily. They've been helpful, but the number one thing I have done to improve my relationships has been uh, reading God's Word, has been knowing Jesus and allowing Him to transform my life and being in the community of the church and learning these th things in real relationships with people who care about me and who are trying to follow Jesus too. Relationships are hard because we're sinful and we do sinful things that screw up the relationships that matter most to us. We have sin, but Jesus came from heaven to earth to take all our sin and put it to death on the cross because that sin separates us not just from people, but from God. And we're under his judgment for that. And Jesus saved us from our sin by dying on the cross. And when he rose from the dead, he rose to a new kind of life. And he offers us a new way to live as followers of him, a way that leads to life and life to the full. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you're listening this morning and you're like, man, that describes my relationships, stolen from, destroyed, killed. I want to invite you into abundant life today, the abundant life Jesus has to offer. If you're like, man, I've been doing my relationships my own way and they just are not working. Jesus has a better way. I want to invite you to surrender to him today. I want to invite you to say, you know what, Lord? I've done this my own way. I want to do this your way. 
And I want you to commit or recommit yourself to God's way of doing life and relationships so that we might end with life and life in all of its fullness because that's what we were made for. Would you pray with me? Father, I just ask that you would convict us today, Lord. Bring the things to our hearts and minds that we need to hear, we need to see, we need to change. Lord, I pray for repentance in our relationships. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring us the right people and the right tools to move forward. And if you're here this morning and you go, I need to commit or recommit my life to doing this God's way, I just want you to pray with me now. Lord, I've messed up. I've done this bad. And I don't want my life to keep looking like what it does today. Lord, I need something new. I need a change. And I believe you can offer me that. So Lord, I just ask you to forgive my sins. Forgive the ways in which I've messed this up. And Lord, I surrender to your way of life and I ask you to lead me to an abundant life that is rich and full. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're struggling to grow today in your relationships, please reach out to us for help. If you made a commitment or recommitment to do life and relationships God's way, please let us know that so we can walk with you because you are not in this alone. See you next week.